0: Welcome to the Cotofan Anatomy Podcast. We are now in Season 2 and the name of the season is Introduction to the Face. So the previous episodes were focusing on facial aging and facial biomechanics and now we are in Episode 3 focusing on some more detailed structures like the fat that we have in a face. So this is why the topic of this one is going to be the facial fat and as usual i have my dear friend pete with me
1: today Hi, hey, pete hi sebastian
0: welcome to this uh, fatty session today as i would call it because we're going to talk about the facial fat
1: so much fat good to be back and uh recording again
0: yeah it's honestly when when i thought about um talking about the facial fat it's so interesting because um there's, there's actually so much fat in a face. People who did um, dissection courses with me and they were dissecting the mid-face, they're always surprised. Oh my goodness, there's so much fat in this area. Oh yes, there is a lot of fat. And, and interesting enough, in the face, we have um, three types of fat. We have um, the superficial fat, which is slightly more fibrous. And when you look in dissections or even during surgery, it's a little bit more yellowish. So that's the superficial fat. And that fat is located between the skin and the superficial fascia. In the mid-phase, the superficial fascia is called SMAS. So between the skin and the SMAS, there we have the superficial fatty layer. And deep to that, we have the deep fatty layer. So it's kind of where we have the deep fat compartments. And that's located between the periosteum and the SMAS. So it's kind of like almost like... Two layers of fat separated by this mass in the mid-phase and this results in that we have superficial and deep fat so these are the two types which actually everybody thinks about but we do have a third type of fat and that is um, brown fat it's a very specific and different type of fat because um, it contains special enzymes and special proteins that allows for heat generation and this brown fat is majorly found within the buccal fat pad and the buccal fat pad is a very deep structure in the face which by the way only humans have monkeys and higher primates they do not have the buccal fat pad and that's why they sometimes have these sunken cheeks and humans they do have the buccal fat pad and that buccal fat pad is located between the muscles of mastication and now many scientists have come up with theories why we do have this type of fat, because it's a special type of fat. And um, the current accepted theories is, apart from providing gliding, it's also because this type of fat allows for generation of heat without muscle movement. And normally when we're cold, we shiver, we move our muscles and this generates heat. But the brown fat can generate heat independent of the muscles. And if you think about it, it might be very smart to generate heat and to keep structures warm that are important for food uptake which means the muscles of mastication because when we are cold these muscles they cannot shiver because otherwise we wouldn't be able to eat i mean that would just not be possible but the buccal fat pad is located between the muscles of mastication um, it allows for generation of heat so that means these muscles are always functioning have always heat, they always can function and always can be used for food uptake so that the survival of the individual is guaranteed. So I think this is a nice way of seeing this and apart from That fact, what truly the buccal fat pad is, it also gives a lot of volume to the cheeks and gives a lot of volume to the temple because this is kind of um, where the buccal fat pad is located. So again, we have these three types of fat in our face. The superficial fatty layer, the deep fatty layer and the um, brown fat which is represented by the buccal fat pad. And um, the thing is, the superficial and the deep fat these two fatty layers are separated into compartments, into facial fat compartments. We have superficial fat compartments and we have deep fat compartments in our face. And um, many, many years ago, um, a a scientist came up with the idea that the deep fat is only there to provide gliding for the muscles of facial expression. And I thought it was a very interesting um, idea but when you look into greater detail kind of you can see that the muscles of facial expression they do not only rely on gliding um, between fatty layers or between fatty pillows to allow for gliding because the muscles of facial expression actually they don't move that much they move just a little if you look at the facial expression they're not massive they're just very minute if you compare them to the movements that your hands can do that your shoulders or legs can do i mean the different ranges of movements and therefore it's kind of tricky to think that the deep fat compartments are only there to provide gliding and insulation for the muscles of facial expression because there are also many other things in a face um, that need a little bit of cushion but um what what really struck me about that idea was the fact that um, in the area where we have deep fat compartments, there we do have muscles of facial expression. So I do understand how this theory came up that the deep fat compartments are there to provide lighting because the deep fat compartments are in those areas where we do have Muscles of facial expression. Now, it could be that it's just a coincidence or it could be a causal relationship or it could be just because, in the area where we do have a lot of muscles of facial expression, which is the central face or the medial mid face, the underlying facial skeleton is pretty rough. It's not very smooth, it's pretty uneven. And well, at some point, you just need material to fill that. So, why not use fat? which produces some hormones which allows for energy storage and which allows also for insulation of heat and mechanical protection so i think there's a couple of ideas why we do have deep fat but what actually i think is more important is the superficial fat and the superficial fat is um, that fat that's located right below the skin and a recent study which was ultrasound based and was conducted in living individuals yes living in individuals, not cadaveric studies like the principal investigations that were done for the superficial and deep fat compartments, this ultrasound-based study showed that the superficial fat compartments, they move substantially more than the deep fat compartments do. And to some extent, it makes all sense because the deep fat compartments are located close to the bone, they stick to the bone... Whereas the superficial fat compartments, they glide on top of the mass. And because they glide, they are, of course, highly mobile. And because they are mobile, they move. And this is what also allows for movement of the overlying skin and what allows for movement of um, the various facial expressions that we have. So I think it's really nice to see that there is a functional difference between superficial and deep fat. But, um, Pete, my question to you, how do you think people and researchers in the past, how they discovered the fat compartments. How do you think how they did that? And I know exactly you don't know the literature, but I just wanted to ask you, how do you think they did it?
1: Really? Yeah. Dissection or injury and exposing the various layers of fat as you see them.
0: Perfect. Exactly. Exactly. This is how they did it. They started with cadaveric dissections. Of course, they were inspired by um, by surgical access pathway, and very interesting actually, from how infections in the face were spreading. So when they had infections in a face, and fluids um, or pus was accumulating, they were spreading or spreading or not spreading in certain areas. So this is why they came up with the idea: hmm, there could be something that prohibits that has boundaries, and then they started to um, do dissections. And surgeries, and what was funny enough, they couldn't found, find compartment boundaries. They just didn't find compartment boundaries. And it took pretty long time until 2007, until um, colleagues um, found out that, well, if you want to make them visible, you need to inject color. So what they did, they started to inject color and the first study that was published was in 2007 and they used methylene blue. It's a very fluidy, very bluish substance and they injected that into an undissected cadaveric phase and then the color distributed within those compartment and with state within the compartment boundaries and then they dissected, And then they found out, oh, look at this, there are compartment boundaries because Funny enough, when you dissect, you just destroy the compartment boundaries and then you don't see the compartment. So that means you need to inject color before. And in 2007, when they injected methylene blue, um, it was a very fluidy substance. And this is why the color of this contrasting agent of this methylene blue migrated from the temple all the way down along the ramus of the mandible past the zygomatic arch and until the angle of the mandible. And then they described kind of lateral, temporal, lateral fat compartments, very large fat compartments from the temple down until um, the angle of the mandible. And then it took three years later, um, they reproduced that study and they found a little bit different results because they found out that the compartments from the temple, they did not translate and migrate and were confluent with the compartments in the mid-phase. And when you look at the method sections of those Um, of those um, papers you find out that the later paper in 2010 they used tander gelatine and gelatine is a little bit more viscous than is methylene blue and this is why the color that they used in the later study was not migrating that much so it kind of it sticked more to the compartment boundaries and then in that study they found out oh there's a separation between temple and the midface when it comes to those aspects and and that was kind of how the first studies came up with discovering the superficial fat compartments. And then in 2012 and thirteen, then they started um, to get a little bit more sophisticated. They used contrast agent, injected that into the face, and without dissections, they put those cadaveric heads into the CT scanner. And then they scanned that, and they were able to see the contrast agent in relation to the bone... And then they found out, oh, it's confirmatory to what they were previously able to see within cadaveric dissection. So that means they were able to see compartments and the boundaries and relate them to underlying bony features, but without dissecting because they just injected contrast agent and they placed them into the CT scanner. So that kind of completed the investigation of um, the fat compartments and and then six years later in 2018 and 19... um, my research group we published um, two papers on the summary of the superficial and the deep fat compartments, um, where we kind of verified and combined all of the other papers into two landmark papers to kind of provide the, kind of like the baseline of what was done in the past, confirming. And also confirming that the temporal compartments are not confluent with the midfacial fat compartments. And this were kind of these were our first papers investigating the superficial and the deep fat compartments. And I think based on these fat compartments, we also found out that the mobility is different, which took us again five years longer to use ultrasound. To verify this in living individuals not in cadaveric studies because in the past it was always kind of like a a drawback people were saying yeah you just do cadaveric studies how can this be related to the living yeah of course I get that that's always a limitation of the studies but now with ultrasound um, we can do significantly a great amount of studies and interesting enough they are all confirmatory they just confirm what we were able to find out in the past which makes me very happy. I have to admit that because it's well, I could have been wrong, which is fine. And um, and I've been wrong in the past, um, and I will explain this in the future episodes um of the series, but um it's always nice to confirm the same finding with different methodologies, being a cadaver, being a patient, being with ultrasound, being with CT scanning, so it's always nice to find out and this just confirms we have superficial fat compartments, we have deep fat compartments, superficial fat compartments, they move substantially more. This is why, for instance, when you inject soft tissue fillers or any other product, you try not to inject superficially because this will influence the natural mobility. On the contrary, because we know that the deep fat compartments, they do not move a lot because they're closely attached to the bone. We can inject deep in contact with the bone into supra locations and when we inject product there then um, we provide support for the overlying fat compartments and we reconstitute and kind of reshape the bony fundament, which is very important for the overlying soft tissues. So there are a lot of things that um, were investigated. But what I think is more important is the fact that understanding that there are natural boundaries of the fat compartments, natural boundaries that we see. That everybody has. For instance, the nasolabial fold is just a natural boundary because the muscles of facial expression, after they leave the bone, they attach to the skin. And where they attach to the skin, this is where it's a natural boundary and this is where we have the nasolabial fold. The same thing holds true for the marionette line, the so-called the labiomandibular mandibular fold. The same thing. All of this, these are natural boundaries and the fat lateral or superior to those boundaries during the process of aging it accumulates it just wants to move down but the natural boundary does not let it move down and this is why at higher age the superficial nasolabial fat compartments is bulging and tries to prolapse and to jump over the nasolabial fat compartment and but it just can't because there's a natural boundary so this is why the nasolabial fold forms a natural boundary. The same thing happens with the labiomandibular mandibular sulcus. There we have the natural boundary. This is why we have a pre-jaw sulcus. And this is why we have the jaw deformity, which happens posterior to that respective um, labiomandibular mandibular sulcus. So these are all natural boundaries which influence the shape of the face, which influence the appearance, especially of the aged face and... If we understand that the superficial fat compartments move more, they push against the boundary, but the boundary doesn't let them move, then we know that most of the treatments, they should actually focus on repositioning, on bringing back that fat that wants to move two blocks down the road, but you just want to bring it back. So this is why repositioning treatments be it with fillers, be it with toxins, be it with threads or with surgical procedures or energy-based devices, they're all focusing on repositioning. And this is, I think, important to understand when it comes to understanding overall the fat in a face. I mean, it's kind of like starting from three different types, superficial and deep and the buckle and But then when we move into facial biomechanics, which we covered in the last episode, I think it's important to put all of the pieces together to understand how the face behaves, how the face looks like, and why are the changes that we see this way. Because then we can decode them and then we can guide our treatments towards Better and more individualized outcomes, so I think this is how I see fat but but Pete um tell me do you when when you look at do you look at faces, would you ever think that there's this
1: large amount of sophisticated amount of fat in a face? not certainly not as much as you've described as you've talked about the planes of the face and the basics um, are each the superficial deep and then the brown fat, are they all on specific distinguishable layers and planes of the face, or do they ever cross boundaries? And along with that, if someone's heavier and loses weight, which of these fats are seen as reducing with weight loss? Is it all of them? Is it superficial only? Because I I don't think you'd want the brown fat to diminish, or or is it resistant to weight loss?
0: Yeah, Pete, that this is amazing questions, and this is why we're doing this podcast together. Because you're absolutely right. When when we lose weight, the sequence of weight loss is superficial fat first, then a deep fat, and then the brown fat. So when someone has sunken cheeks, this is a very very late stage of weight loss. And normally this is only associated with pathologies like serious systemic infections like HIV or other things. And we, we then only see that only in those cases. But normally when we just lose a little bit of fat, kind of a little bit um, with a small amplitude around our perfect weight, it's mostly the superficial fat. But the problem is because the superficial fat is moving a lot, we can see that right away in the face. And we can see that especially very soon related to the folds that we have in a face so these folds at some point might look more prominent or might look less prominent and this is immediately visible mm-hmm. so i think um that's a very excellent point uh, to look at but if i look at the time i see that we are already advancing in a time and um actually we already covered a lot that is to be said about the fat in a face and um I think with this, we should end today's episode and kind of allow for the audience to get ready for the next one, which is going to be released next week. And the one next week is going to focus on facial muscles and how they look like into the face. So with this, I would like to thank you very much, Pete, for being with me today.
1: Thank you, Sebastian.
0: And um, my dear listeners, I'm gonna hear you for the next episode. Stay tuned.